What's up, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is Rod Beard, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, and welcome to episode seven of the Ride and Real podcast. Been on a little bit of a hiatus the past couple of weeks, but I'll talk about that a little bit in this edition of the podcast and go through everything else since the world changed a few weeks ago. Obviously, with the COVID-19 coronavirus spreading around the world and the thousands of people who have died in the, the previous weeks, starting over in Asia, spreading to Europe, and now in the United States. I certainly want to show respect to the people who have passed away from and are dealing with the ordeal currently. It's affecting not just people in the older age bracket, but young people, people in every state. There's no race or, or age group or anything else that uh, is exempt from this. So this is something that a lot of people are dealing with. And most states, including Michigan, where I am, are dealing with uh, stay-at-home orders. So this is a very, very serious thing, and I'll jump on the bandwagon of folks who are saying stay at home, keep your social distance from people, and even if you go out and just take a walk, do something outside. Uh, I worked on my yard today, so you guys can do some things too, but you don't have to stay in front of your TV or stay in the house. You can certainly go out and do some things, but uh, try to make the best of this situation until all of this passes over in the next couple of weeks. But we got a good show planned for you today. I'll talk a lot of the coronavirus uh, situation and start back from where it started for us, at least, at the March 7th game against the Utah Jazz and kind of go up to where we are today. Talk a little bit about where the Pistons are uh, at 20 and 46 uh, in the remainder of the season, what that looks like, and then finish up with something that I've been working on in some of this downtime, which is hip-hop albums during the 1990s, and I created a bracket-style tournament for each individual year in between that during some of the downtime that I had but want to have some fun with this but also want to try to be as transparent as open as I can with some of the stuff that was going on the past few weeks but we'll start with with the coronavirus stuff and, and obviously everybody's been affected by it in some way shape or form and, and it's a scary time it's a, a different time as I alluded to this sort of started March 7th unknowingly for most of us when the Pistons played the Jazz at uh, Little Caesars Arena and it just felt like it was another game in the slew of games that, that are going on in the season. The Pistons are winding that down. About 16 games left in the season, but that was just a, a nondescript game. Didn't really have any extra importance or extra anything. There was nothing really that stood out from that game. Christian Wood had a, a really nice game for the Pistons and as it turns out, he guarded Rudy Gobert during that game and as we later found out, Rudy Gobert was the first NBA player to test positive for COVID-19. And I, I want to make a big distinction in that, too. He was the first player to test positive. It doesn't mean he was the first player to have it. There are plenty of people who are walking around as asymptomatic carriers, and they spread the virus to other people, but they may not show any symptoms or any signs or anything else. So just because Rudy Gobert was the first that we knew who had it doesn't mean he was the first to have it. And that's what's causing this worldwide panic now is that there are so many people who cannot get tested. I was one of those people who could not get tested because I wasn't showing any symptoms. So I just went for two weeks, I was in a self-isolation and had to deal with wondering, do I have it? Do I not have it? 
am I spreading this to my family? Is my family spreading it to me? Because they, none of us showed any symptoms. But fortunately, after that two-week self-isolation, I didn't have any symptoms, didn't have any issues. None of my family's had any issues. And we're trying to move forward uh, just like most people and just try to ride this out and, and make sure that we're staying healthy and happy and but also staying away from other people to make sure that we don't have any complications from it. But March 7th was that game against the Jazz, and uh, I didn't have any direct contact with any Jazz players at all. So just, again, nondescript day. The next day was March 8th. It was a Sunday. We traveled to New York. The Pistons played against the Knicks, and a game that really didn't have any added importance besides the fact that it was two teams that were in the position that they were probably going to be battling for draft position and trying to get a top three pick, and the Knicks won that game too. So... Again, it was just a back-to-back, second game of a back-to-back. Christian Wood played well again in that game. And right after that game in the locker room, I I went up to him because I was working on a a feature story about Christian Wood, and I was asking him about uh, maybe being a most improved player candidate or thinking about that award and, and maybe some of what he's doing in this breakout season for him being lost in the fact that the Pistons were losing and, and heading for one of the worst records in the league. And he just kind of said, I just want to win. I, I just want to win and help the team win. So all of the career highs, he had the career highs in, in three of the final four games that he just, it, the stats didn't matter. The numbers didn't matter, but he wanted to be on a winning team. That that's the part that gets lost in this is people are, rallying behind him but when it's on a losing effort it just doesn't get noticed the same sort of way and we saw that in terms of all-stars and the Pistons not having any because they didn't have a winning record so that was the the Sunday night moved to Monday and it was an off day because of the back-to-back so spent the day in Brooklyn Uh, James Edwards and and, uh, from the Athletic and I both just hung out in Brooklyn that day went to Fort Greene Park walked around a little bit and walked around Brooklyn and just again, nothing, no, no issues. We knew that there was some stuff coming up about the COVID-19. We had heard about the stuff in Washington, but it hadn't really reached New York as far as we knew. So it was just kind of a hangout day and to do something, grab some tacos and walk around Brooklyn. And the following day was the 10th. That was the day that I went from New York to Philly. And that train ride was just so surreal because the, that's when the news reports started to mount a little bit more that the, there was more concern about the virus. And so I'm not generally the guy to carry around Clorox wipes in my uh, in my suitcase or, or in my bag, but I had some with me and, and wiped down the seat and wiped down everything in front of me and around me. And the lady that was sitting in front of me said, hey, um, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's weird about wiping everything down and I said no we're not the weird ones now it's everybody else who didn't wipe it down that's going to be considered weird and they're putting themselves at risk so it was just eerie going through that and taking that hour and a half ride from New York to Philly and outside of that going out in Brooklyn there wasn't really a lot of public anything that I did New York City you think you want to go around and, and especially in Manhattan you want to walk around and see everything But going to the game and going on that one day in Brooklyn, there wasn't much else that I did outside or around people or anything else, which is something that I typically like to do when I'm in New York. So uh, the coronavirus had played a a big role in in limiting some of the stuff that I did. So got to Philly and again, checked in the hotel, didn't walk around or didn't go to one of my, my favorite places on the NBA circuit, Reading Terminal in downtown Philly, 
which is kind of, for people from Detroit, it's kind of an Eastern market type feel. It's an indoor market where you can get ice cream, uh, donuts, you can get all types of, of food in a lunch place. It's just a really, really cool place in downtown Philly. I didn't go there either, and that would be one of the normal stops on the on a Philly trip, but just didn't do that, and, and nowhere really outside of going to the game, which was that following day. Well, I did go to the, the practice that the Pistons had that day, and that is the same day that they um, the NBA installed their new media rules, which kept you uh, six feet away. So it was the first time that we had talked to Dwayne Casey, and this practice was at Temple University, and he's sitting at a table in one of their meeting rooms and we're sitting in the the team room so we're like six or eight feet away from him and it it was weird it it was just very odd to see that feel that we're used to being in a scrum situation where you're two feet away from uh, the people that you're talking to so the next day was the game against the Sixers and at shoot around that day talked to Dwayne Casey and again same situation he's at a, a table and I'm six or eight feet away and and asking them questions. And so it's just, it, it's where the league had gotten. And I was one of the people that's like, this is bull. I mean, how are we gonna be this far apart and really try to maintain the, the relationships that we have with players and coaches? And that distance actually probably helped us out a little bit more than anything else. Because also that, that previous day, we talked to Christian Wood and we were separated by that distance. So there, there's no saying when Qu- Christian Wood uh, who tested positive for it when he contracted that could have been from Rudy Go- Gobert it could have been a time before that it could have been a time after who knows and that's one of the important messages that I would say from this whole coronavirus ordeal is that it's not and where we are today is that it's not important to try to look at who got it from whom or who was first or who was last at this point it doesn't matter it's just about people who are are positive and people who are negative and trying to make sure that we're not infecting other people and that this spread doesn't get to people who are whose systems are compromised or people who might die from it which is typically older people but there are some other cases of younger people who are dying from it one of the business people in Detroit Marlo Stoudemire died today and he was 43 and didn't seem to have any underlying conditions from this so it's just very important that we don't draw any conclusions from anything or don't try to point fingers and say this guy was first or this guy got it from this other person at this point i i don't care it doesn't really matter the causation and the um who got it and blah 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 that just doesn't matter at this point so um just but getting back to that that sequence that game against the sixers after that game pistons lost that game too of course and so that was their 12th loss in 13 games and so right at the end of that, I'm still in the press area in the stands and I see something come across Twitter that Rudy Gobert's tested positive and it just felt like, wow, this is the tip of the iceberg here. You gotta see what else is gonna happen. And within a couple of minutes after that, um, when the NBA announced that they were suspending the season, it just, you knew as soon as a player tested positive, this whole thing is, is going kaput. And, and the NBA did a really good job of uh, the people who were in Oklahoma City at that time of diagnosing and saying, this guy tested positive, cancel the whole thing. Let's just get everybody out of here, get them the, the jazz players and the Thunder players tested and get all the fans out the arena. And the way that all of that went down was just so surreal. You're sitting in an NBA arena. And as a matter of fact, during that Sixers game, 
I posted a picture on Twitter and said, who knows when we'll see the next time that we're in an arena with fans? Because at the time, the thought was that the NBA would continue with no fans in the stand, but they would continue playing the games. So, and I think the post went something like, "Who know? Here's a picture for posterity because who knows when we'll see this again." And true to life, it came. I mean, that was the last game that we saw uh, in the NBA, or from a Piston standpoint at least, where there were fans in the stands in the last game because the season has been suspended and will be suspended for the foreseeable future until uh, this this coronavirus breaks through and, and passes over a little bit. So it was just really weird and surreal and, and talking to Dwayne Casey and Langston Galloway in that post-game session, again, separated by that six or eight feet. And it, it's just coming to them and it's just starting to settle in that the season suspended, uh, the, the Pistons had just played the Jazz, so there's that first level of fear of and Langston Galloway talked about it was that yeah I mean I, he, he was near Rudy Gobert he, he guarded him he probably hand checked him or, or, or tried to get the ball from him or anything like that so there was that immediate concern for the Pistons and whether from a player standpoint any of them had direct contact and any, any of them were going to test positive and so they went home that night and I was still there in Philly I was scheduled to fly home that next morning and so understanding that secondary contact of Christian Wood that I had just talked to on that Sunday and Wood the previous night having guarded Gobert, um, I had secondary contact with someone who was a known positive. So I was trying to check with the Pennsylvania Board of Health or their Department of Health and see if I could get tested that night and before I flew home. And the initial indication was, hey, the test results aren't, aren't going to be back in for three days, so it doesn't matter. You're, you can fly home as long as you're not presenting with any symptoms. And I wasn't. There wasn't any cough or any fever or any shortness of breath, which are the traditional symptoms that people are looking for. It just didn't feel right. It didn't feel good that they were saying, you can't get tested, go home and get on a plane with all of these other people who may or may not be positive themselves. And you're fine with that. So I uh, checked with a hospital nearby. They gave me the same answer. And that was the protocol that they were going by is that um, they weren't testing anybody who wasn't showing any symptoms. So the next morning I was scheduled to fly back to Detroit. I called the Michigan Department of Health and, and called my doctor to see if there was anything that I needed to do. Because I, I think my primary concern at the time was more looking at was I going to infect other people? And that's what I didn't want to do. No, I didn't have symptoms, but I had already looked into being asymptomatic and what that means. If you're still carrying the virus and you pass it on to other people, that's just as bad, whether you know it or not. I mean, obviously it's worse if you know it and you, you're passing it to other people. But if you think you have it, and I, I wasn't sure because I was secondary contact with someone who did, then you just feel bad about trying to pass that along. And, and there was this fear also because my daughter has asthma type symptoms that I don't want to come home and subject her to that because that's an underlying symptom that could make her more apt to contract it. So it's just, it was just a lot of worry and a lot of fear at the time. But my, I checked with my doctor's folks too, and they said the same thing. The Michigan Department of Health and the my doctor said there's no reason if you're not presenting with symptoms, then just come on home. So, I mean, and I wrote about this in a column on Monday of this week, that what that experience was like is, uh, I've been on planes, I've been on hundreds of flights the past couple of years, and there's been turbulence, there's been every, there's been a thunder flash one time that made the plane have to land in the middle of the flight, but 
I don't think I was as fearful as I was on this flight of of just what would happen if I had contracted it on the flight, if I hadn't contracted it before, but what what would happen if maybe I, I was a positive, didn't know it, and I passed it to somebody else, and that's sort of the the fear going into it. But landed, got home, again, called my doctor and see if I needed to be tested or if I could get tested before I got home. And then it was the same answer. You, you can't get tested unless you're showing symptoms. And that wasn't happening. But again, that was just the fear. It's, it's trying to spread it un, unknowingly to somebody else. So that was a Thursday, uh, March 12th. Then on the 14th, which was the Saturday, the news comes down that Christian Wood tested positive. And that was another very surreal day. And if you think about it from a, a journalist perspective, that's breaking news. It's a it's a really hot story that people are going to want to talk about. And, and sure, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell both had tested positive earlier in the week. So there was nobody else in the league or of, of similar stature of those two guys who had tested positive. But when Christian Wood tested positive that or that test was announced that night, then it was sort of, wow, now I've had primary contact because again this is March 14th and I talked to Christian Wood on the 8th so it was barely a week earlier than that that I had direct contact with Christian Wood and so I'm trying to to call my doctor again call the Michigan Health Department to see if I can get tested because now I've had direct contact with someone who had tested positive so I didn't initially write a story I was just so worried about again my family and and what was going to happen after that, it took me a while to get around and, and to finally write that story. And, and thanks to Tony Paul from uh, the Detroit News, my colleague from the Detroit News, who kind of jumped in and did some of the initial legwork on that while I was trying to figure out my situation. But when I had talked to the people from the Department of Health, they said, well, now that you've had primary con- or, or contact with someone who's tested positive, you probably need to go into a self-isolation yourself. And it's it goes back to the time that you had the last direct contact. So again, given it was six days since, then I only needed to do another eight days of uh, self-isolation. And luckily, in um, we have a, an extra bedroom for my son who is away at college that I was able to isolate in a different room and use a different bathroom and, and kind of be on my own a little bit from my family, which is difficult in itself. If you're used to being around your family and sitting around and watching TV and doing stuff, that it's just really hard. And, and even when I got back from Philly, it's all, it's this thing that the doctors say that they're doing too. You, you walk in the door, you take your clothes off, you throw them in the washing machine because you don't want to infect anything. And you, you're wiping down your suitcase, you're wiping down everything that you touched, the doorknob that you touched when you walked in. And, and maybe that makes me a little OCD, but it, it just was this feeling of wanting to make sure that my family was safe too. And so uh, starting the self-isolation was just really, really hard because I did want to touch a a knob to a cabinet. I didn't want to touch the refrigerator and potentially get my family infected at all. So it was a lot of wiping down stuff, a lot of washing hands with soap and water and being holed up in a room by yourself. And that's it's tough when you know the people are in the house with you you want to have a a a sit down conversation and do stuff but then you you balance that with not wanting to get them sick either so that was a really really tough time for me to kind of deal with and i watched a lot of tv i watched a a lot of of cnn and as i wrote in the column I, i figured out i had some new mvps in dr anthony fauci and dr deborah burks who were both on the corona uh coronavirus task force with the white house and Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, 
who just really struck me as as really good leaders and really good role models and people that are not going to mince words with what's going on and tell you the truth about what the situation is. So those are just some some interesting things and interesting people that I kind of delved into during that that time that I was kind of on, on that self isolation. So that gets us to March twenty second, which was uh, this past Sunday, and I finished the self isolation. Again, no symptoms, no issues, thankfully, that I had to go through. And I wrote the column that appeared in the Detroit News or DetroitNews.com if you want to check that out. Just really some introspecting and some self-evaluation of kind of where sports fits into all of this. And as I've just sort of laid out too, just worrying about your family and worrying about friends and everything else. And the other good thing is, is luckily I was able to work from home and I have a job that I was able to work from home because it would have been really, really tough trying to worry about, well, where's my next paycheck coming from? Or or do I have to risk it because I got to put food on the table or I've got to make sure that my family is, is secure when I, I could be sick and I could be spreading it to other people. But luckily I was able to write some things from home and work from home. And that wasn't really a consideration. And that's something that a lot of people are, are going through and having those issues now where now that we've advanced in this a couple of weeks that a lot of people are especially in Michigan where you have stay-at-home orders, you can't go out, you can't do work in the office like you normally would. And that's the struggle that our society is going through right now is people who might be have to, have to go on unemployment for the next couple of weeks and, and figure out where how they're going to make ends meet. So the stimulus package that's coming from the House and Senate that they're working on is, is so important, not just to stimulate the economy and to make it bounce back, but to make sure that people are taken care of and that they're able to do their day-to-day stuff and just pay their bills. Because this is going to be a, a shock to the system, and not from an economic standpoint, but just from the culture and things that we do. It's so important that we try to bounce back from this. But again, stay well, stay out of... Uh, people's ways and if you're walking down the street walking your dog or doing whatever respect the six foot rule come on now and i had a a, the first time that i went out which was that next day the 23rd we had to get some things from kroger uh some groceries and everything else and there are people who were just they want to stand right in front of you and a couple feet in front of you and i'm like six feet please come on and again i've never really been that guy and, and but this situation has turned me into that guy where it is yeah, just keep your distance because I don't know if you have it. You don't know if I have it. Let's all stay away from each other and, and, and do that. So that was kind of my my timeline of everything that was going on. And, and I do appreciate all the folks that have checked in on me from Twitter and email and everything else. And especially after the column, it got such a good reception that people just didn't know that I was in the isolation. And I mean... It, I'm not a big attention guy. I don't need a lot of attention from that standpoint. So I didn't want it to be, hey, I'm in isolation. Look at me and and let me give you daily updates of what's going on in my isolation. I would rather do it on the backside where I'm doing how I'm doing it now, where I'm just telling you how it all worked out and and the important pieces of all of that. So that's kind of my my coronavirus ordeal and, and everything that I was going through with that. But pulling back out of there, the Pistons, as we look at that, they are 20 and 46. I mentioned they had lost 12 of their last 13 games, and they, the last two wins they have are against the Phoenix Suns, so that's kind of saying something. The Phoenix Suns are playing well, and they were jockeying for playoff position in the West, but the Pistons are looking more like they're going to be not only in the lottery, but in position to get a top five pick. 
Uh, I mentioned they had the fifth worst record going into that at 20 and 46, and they're a half game from either getting the second or third position. And, and I've talked about it before on the podcast where that, that position is so important because if you're in first, second, or third, the odds are flattened out. So you have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick and a 52.1% chance of getting a top four pick. So where the Pistons are right now, they, assuming the season will restart at some point and they finish these last 16 games, they would be in that position to get one of those top four picks, a really good chance, a 50-plus percent chance of getting a top four pick. If they stay where they are for, for whatever reason and they are in fifth place, then those numbers are 42% for the top four and then 10.5. So it's not that much lower than that if they stay in that fifth position, but obviously they get a couple more ping-pong balls, as it were, if they were to move into uh, one of those top three spots to get the the fairer odds from that. So it's just a lot of limbo and and, um, what's next from there. Where's where's the NBA going? Is it going to be 30 days as Adam Silver has uh, insinuated that at least 30 days? But again, a lot of this is just depending on how the course of the coronavirus goes. And it could be pushing everything back until May, could be June, could be talking about just doing, finishing the regular season uh, as it is now, and then moving straight into the playoffs. There's so many other proposals that are on the table for what to do from this point. But again, that's where the Pistons are. Uh, that's where the league is. One of the big questions, too, that I've sort of wondered about is is how the rest of this is going to work in terms of the draft and player evaluation when you look at it. And just on the calendar for right now, the early entry deadline is April 26th for underclassmen to declare and somewhere in there you've got to be able to pull out so june 15th is the time that those early entry candidates can pull their name out of the draft as long as they haven't hired an agent so that's kind of the timeline that you're looking at if everything stays the same and again no guarantees of that the draft lottery is may 19th the combine if it stays the same would be in chicago may 21st through the 24th and then the draft itself is june 25th so that's giving you an idea. Again, if things stay the same and as they have been, then that's how the draft would still pan out, that it would be June 25th. So early entry candidates between June 15th and June 25th, they would have to pull out by June 15th, and then the draft would be on June 25th. So a lot of names, and, and Obi Toppin is already in there. Uh, he's already decided, Tyrese Halliburton, one of the prospects that I really like at point guard, they've already declared for the draft. So uh, a lot of what the Pistons are doing at this point is still trying to figure out who's in and who's out and then trying to assemble their draft board from all of that. And in my self-isolation, one of the things I tried to do was look at hip-hop albums from the 90s. And obviously since the NCAA tournament has been canceled, then people like their brackets. They wanted their brackets. And so I said, well, one of the things I like is is rap and hip-hop albums from the 90s era. That's kind of when I was in high school and college. So let's see if we can put some brackets together. So I tried to do maybe the top 64 albums from the decade of the 90s. And that's just too unwieldy. It's just too many good albums to put in there that doing 64 is just hard anyway. So I said, well... Maybe I'll just break it up and I'll do from 90 to 94 and just do one half, do one bracket of just those. And then it's like, well, you can't do 16 
from just those five years. So if you do 64 from those five years, it's not enough. It's still not enough. You can't even do 16 from each year in that half, and there are too many good ones. So I said, you know what, the, let's do it the easy way. I'll just take 16, and I'll take it from each year, starting with 1990. So, and I was trying to see them, I was trying to work it out. So in 1990, you, you have America's Most Wanted from Ice Cube, Mama Said Knock You Out, Fear of a Black Planet, and People's Instinctive Travels, the first album from Tribe Called Quest. So I was trying to separate those out, say, oh, okay, well, let's see how it goes. And when I started this, I was seeding them, and those were the top four seeds. America's Most Wanted, Mama Said Knock You Out was two, Fear of a Black Planet was three, People's Instinctive Travels was four. And then I had 100 Miles and Running from NWA was five, Business as Usual by EPMD was six, Legal by Special Ed was seven, and then Short Dogs in the House, Too Short, gotta have some Too Short in there. That was number eight. And so I said, well, how do you start, how do you get from nine to 16? I mean, I, I included Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him as kind of a, and a hat tip to Hammer, but does it really belong in the same rap and hip hop bracket? Because of sales, it probably does. I didn't even see the, the nine through 16. I just kind of put them all in and just dropped them in randomly. So that went against America's Most Wanted and lost easily. So you can take a look at that bracket. All of the brackets are on my Twitter feed from 1990 all the way through. And I've gotten through 96 at this point. But 91 was one of the good years too. Death Certificate by HQ. Low End Theory, which is one of my favorite albums from any genre, from any artist. And uh, if you've listened to some of the, my podcasts before where I've talked about hip-hop, I've talked about Tribe Called Quest being one of my favorite groups. But in my mind, that wins the, the 1991 bracket because it, it was just so good. It, it, and some of this is tinged by the whether you were old enough to live through that time. But if you were listening to rap and hip-hop at that time, Low End Theory changed the way that you thought about hip-hop music with the uh, lyricism with Fife Dog's lyricism and then just the jazz infusion in there. So it, it's, I go back and forth between Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders as being my favorites. I tend to lean toward Low End Theory because of the, the song Jazz, uh, We Got the Jazz, and the remix of We Got the Jazz. Not on that album, but still one of my favorite cuts too. But moving to 92, 92 was, was probably one of the biggest blowouts because it was the chronic by Dr. Dre and there's just not much that can stand up to uh, what The Chronic did. And again, The Chronic put the California and L.A. sort of scene on the map. And, and Dre's Chronic, again, is it, if you live through that, and I was in college by that time, that's all that was playing for weeks on end. That's all anybody played was The Chronic. That's all anybody talked about was The Chronic. So uh, Mecca and the Soul bro Brother by Pete Rock and C.O. Smooth gets a hat tip there, but nothing really stood up to the chronic and, and just about everybody on social media agreed with that. 93 was one of the knockdown drag out years in the brackets that I did. Uh, you got Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers, you got Snoop's Doggy Style and Tribe's Midnight Marauders. You know how I feel about Midnight Marauders. I just talked about that. But and Tupac's initial album is on there, too. So those are probably the, the top four seeds, and people had other ones that they liked, but those are the ones that stuck out. I can hear arguments for 36 Chambers. A lot of people like Doggy Style, and, and um, Midnight Marauders, obviously, uh, was one of my favorites. In 94, 
is another tough one. You get Illmatic by Nas, Notorious B.I.G., Ready to Die, Murder was the case, soundtrack, and then Southern Playalistic Cadillac Funky Music by Outkast, their debut album. I mean, that's just, that's tough. That's a really, really tough year. But the majority of people said either Illmatic or Ready to Die, and I'm not going to argue with anybody on that. 95 was a, an, another really good one where you get Tupac's Me Against the World, Dog Food by the Dog Pound, Only Built for Cuban Links, Raekwon's Initial Offering, and Liquid Swords is in there, and E-1999 Eternal by Bone Thugs uh, and Harmony. So tough, tough, tough. But I think the most difficult one up to this point from top to bottom in terms of depth is 1996 all eyes on me probably tupac's best depending on your where you're coming from but then he also had machiavelli that same year released in later in the same year you got reasonable doubt by jay-z and it was written by nas those are probably the top four seeds so the next four seeds after that at aliens by outcast the score by the fugees stakes is high by de la soul and the dog father from snoop dogg Dogfather is an eight seed. Stakes is high is a seven seed in this bracket. That is insanity. And still, when you go down the next level below that, you got Iron Man, you got Beach Rhyme and Life by Tribe Called Quest, and that's just kind of a toss it in. Hell on Earth, and then The Roots, Illadelph Half Life. And outside of Tribe, The Roots might be that next group right below that, along with Eric B and Rakim. So. This is just a ridiculous, ridiculous bracket, and I'd be interested in your thoughts. If you're into hip-hop like that, go to my Twitter feed, at Debt News Rodbeard, and look at the 1996 bracket. You can check out all the brackets and give me some feedback on what you think, who your favorite artists were, your favorite albums during that period. But that was just a fun exercise for me to be able to do and go through and break down some of these top albums and get people's thoughts on it. And again, it, there is no right or wrong answer. You like who you like, you listen to who you listen to, and your favorite album is your favorite album and there's a reason for everybody so i never say that somebody's right or somebody's wrong but it just tells me a lot about a person when they say hey their favorite album is beats rhymes and life and that's that's going to win this bracket if that wins your bracket you have a definite bias towards tribe or, or towards beats rhyme and life and it means something for you and and it just kind of is what it is at that point but uh again you can go check out all of those brackets on the twitter feed at that news rod beard Leave me some feedback on what you think on some of those. That's just an exercise that I was doing just to pass some of the time. And it got to be a good piece to interact with people on as well with that. But I'll finish out the 90s. I don't know if I'll go into the 2000s because I'm a little bit biased about 90s rap and, and hip hop. And maybe I'll go backwards and go in the 80s. Uh, before I go forward in the 2000s, but that was the golden age, the golden era when some of these some of these favorite albums came out was in the early 90s, getting into the mid 90s and the late 90s. But I'd be interested to, to see and hear what some of you folks have to say. So give me some feedback on that. But uh, that's our show for the episode seven of the Rotten Real podcast. Had a lot of fun doing this and just getting to share the ordeal that I had and the experience I had with the coronavirus in terms of the early stages. And, and again, that was before any of this became as widespread as it is between before the numbers really got to be as mind blowing as they are right now with the number of positive cases and the number of deaths. Because I remember, I think it was during that self-isolation when one of the big headlines on CNN was 
we've topped a thousand cases in the United States, and now we're in the um, tens of thousands of cases because this thing has just spread so, so wildly and so uncontrollably. So just try to stay safe, keep your distance from folks, and prayerfully we'll be able to get through all of this together. And we'll figure it all out. We'll be better on the other side of this uh, once we come through all of this. So don't forget to check all the coverage of everything coronavirus that I've done and all the piston stuff while we're on this hiatus, including a gas station story that I did on gas prices because they needed some sports people to go out and do some coronavirus coverage. So I went out and found some gas for $1.23 a gallon. You can check that story out also in the business section of the Detroit News. There's almost the first time for everything. But I appreciate the following. I appreciate your um, feedback and your indulgence. And again, the people who checked on me uh, during the past few weeks, I do appreciate that as well. So we are signing off. We will see you next time. Peace.